Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Greetings, good people. Welcome along to episode 104 of the Howie Games, part A, featuring triple snowboard world champion in the halfpipe, Scotty James. They're going to be in totally different places in the pipe, and we're going to see a big old method. Hi, how are you? Cap nine? Are you serious? That is so hard. There's that switch. Switch back 10? Backside 12? Okay. Craig has left the booth. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Scotty James continues his dominance in the pipe. Scotty is a freak, an absolute freak on his snowboard. In fact, before you start listening, you should Google some of his highlights because what this man does will blow your mind. This is a bloke who competed in his first Olympics at age 15. I had the pleasure of seeing Scotty in action at the Sochi Winter Olympics. And when you see what he does live, it is captivating. The pipe he rides is enormous. The airs are spectacular. The tricks, in a way, bend your mind and you find yourself saying continually, how on earth did he do that? And the risks, they are frightening and very real. So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by This is a very different episode to many on the show previously, as Scotty is aged only 26, so he's from a much younger generation than many of our previous guests. The world he occupies requires things like a social media presence, sponsor content, personal brand and image is so important, although bless Scotty, he resists this as much as he can. This is the story of a tremendously driven young athlete who is prepared to do anything to be the best he can be. It's also a great insight into the life of young athletes in today's rapidly changing sporting world. Scotty is a very deep thinker and a wonderful conversationalist. I really, really like what he's all about. I hope you do too. Enjoy the story of Scotty James. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go Thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Welcome to the Howie Games. We've had some athletes. I think this man might be the coolest man that has ever appeared on the show due to what he does. Scotty James. Scotty, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. What is it like to be known as cool? Because, And you're going to deflect this, but it is seen, like, I look at everyone that comes on the show and some are phenomenal athletes and others are wonderful personalities. You, my friend, whether you like to believe it or not, are cool. All right, cool. Uh, somewhat, uh, it's, I wouldn't say I'm cool, honestly, if I was to look at myself. I thought, if, I, if I sat here and said that I was cool, it wouldn't... Uh, but it's a be cool. a very modest thing to say. No, but it, what you do, I think to me, being a, a surfer or a snowboarder is cool. It's a cool sport. Yeah, And it there's is. a lot of coolness associated. There's a lot of uh, the sport is very cool. And um, I think it's probably that laid, more so laid back environment that the demographic of both surfing, skating and snowboarding brings to society or how people... 
um, look at us. But uh, I would say I'm, um, yeah, I don't know. Thank you, I guess. I'm cool. <laughs> so, so how do you deal with being, um, and it's, you know, we, we did the player profile and that was interesting. How do you deal with being a real low-key character in what is a high-octane, cool, promote-yourself sport? Because that's what your sport is. Yeah, it's it's huge these days. That's the toughest part, I think, for any real, for any athlete in any sport and profession is that it's so much about the profile more so than the success in your sport and for me I hate that I think that is just when I and that and that's from um, you know it might be with a sponsorship or it could be you know how much TV time you're getting or what you've got to bring away from your sport and for sure you've got to be down you know, generations now, you've got to be able to mark yourself. You've got to be presentable and you've got to be able to do all those things, which is fantastic. But nowadays it's, you know, how many how many followers does this person have mm. will dictate, you know, almost how much, how, how far your career can go in terms of, you know, dollar value and um, how people perceive you as being successful, especially in the younger generation, which you know, I'm still very young, 25 years old, but I see that so much now and I'm just like, it's a bit shattering, but yeah, I don't know. I find it fascinating because, as I come from a traditional broadcasting background, so the Olympics we put you on TV and people mm. see you, but you don't have competition that run all year round, so you're not visible. So you need to stay visible. Exactly mm. what you're talking about. So do you? We'll talk about some of your your uh, video web work, which I really enjoyed having a look at some of it. Mm. Do you have someone that travels with you to to? show us your life and show us what you're doing yeah it's uh yeah you gotta have some extra i got i have to try and kick a footy which i'm pretty average at <laughs> hit golf balls in my house um to try and get the same kind of attention that dustin martin probably would if he farted at training correct we'll hear about it you <laughs> would correct. you would probably report on that yeah and i'd probably want to hear about yeah. it <laughs> yeah but um yeah it's it is it's it's very different but um yeah, I mean, doing all those things. And my brother, Sean, actually travels with me pretty much full-time. He's been a support for me since my first Olympics when I was 15. And So is he like your videographer? For sure, yeah. He right. travels with me full-time. And, yeah, we work on a lot of projects together. We actually also work closely with a sponsor of mine, Red Bull, to produce um, content, I guess, for my channels and their channels. And we uh, work uh, so on... I'm fascinated by this. How, do, how does it work? So, do, and we'll talk about Red Bull in a moment. Um, this is the thing I love about this show. There's no clear direction ever. Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect to be talking about this. So, did Red Bull come to you and say, Scotty, okay, we've got this arrangement with you. We need you to put out a certain amount of content, a certain type of content, like without giving away state secrets. How does this creation of content to feed the beast, mm. how does it work? I think they, you know, s someone like Red Bull, for example, uh, they're very helpful in how they just want to make it, facilitate it as easy as possible, basically. And they want to help us grow our profiles. And they might say, hey, um, we've got this coming up. We notice you're really interested in fitness or you're interested in kicking a football. Would you like to collaborate with Travis Boke, for example, who's a Red Bull athlete as well? And we'll build a story around that. So it's always looking at ways how, for me specifically, like we said with the snowboarding thing, is mm. how we can get into areas that I'm not particularly in all the time. Right. But my brother, um, 
you know, I have him travel with me full time and we just collect archive footage, just footage and footage and footage. He has footage of me from, he filmed my first backflip on a snowboard to now. Hmm. It's been, you know, over a decade of footage that he's collected. And generally when people ask for things and whatnot, we can provide it because we've always done it. And, and we absolutely love doing it together as well. So You've got a, a web series. Yeah, I've got a web series called All Day SJ. I've been watching a bit of All Day yeah. SJ. Shooting 75 frames, 6K, so heaps of options yeah, to post. Yeah, looks cool. But um, can I just ask you a quick favour? You reckon you can just film it on my iPhone? It'll get more views on Instagram. It's uh, it's something different. I mean, it's probably your classic Australian kind of avenue where, you know, us as sports people is it's very cool it's very flashy at times and it's um it is about us a lot and i i didn't necessarily want to go and do my nine to five what did i have for breakfast this morning you know Mm. what am i doing at lunch i'm training and then i'm doing this and i'm communicating with my coach a typical documentary style uh, um show or web series so i thought what's something that we can have a lot of fun with and kind of take the piss out of it, and that's sports management. I mean, every athlete has had a shit manager, and we thought this is going to be gold content for us. So is to... that your brother who plays the manager? Yes. <laughs> with but we nice try not to, yeah, stuff. we try not to tell anyone. Okay. Well, we try not to tell quietly. anyone about that, but... um. Yeah, his name's Quinton Peck. He runs a tight ship at QP Sports Management. <sighs> Morning, Suze. Work experience kid today. Hope he's not a loser. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Ah. Barry. Harry. Oh, Harry. Bit different today. Got a work experience kid in. Never had one before, so it should be interesting. Um, this is a very glamorous kind of profession from the outside. So I'm going to teach him a few things and show him that it's actually quite hard work. So you want to be an athlete manager? Yeah. Well, I love sports. Yeah. Heard of Scotty James? I, d- I didn't, uh, to be honest. I did Google him last night, though, so I've okay. done a bit of research. Well, he's been to two Olympics and he's going to his third, so he's pretty, he's pretty big. Uh, Favourite athlete? Go. Uh, probably Mick Fanning. Oh, Mick. Oh, Mick Fanning. I could, I could tell you stories. Like, what, what kind of stories? Story, uh... Uh, so I've got a list um, of stuff that I reckon you should do. I can see a bit of the office that comes through in it. I don't yeah, know if hugely, you're a fan of Ricky Gervais. Oh, massive. Right. Yeah, it's pretty much Ricky is our <laughs> holy grail of comedy. He's just the very, camera very angles funny. and the wave. It's, it's good. Suze has set you up a little workstation. Thank you. Um, so you can jump out there. And if you have any questions, just come in. I'm here. Make sure you knock, though. Um, but sure. I'm here to help. Good on you, Haz. Give it a crack. Harry's fine. Harry? Yeah, so we did that and then we also didn't want to mix up, you know, my program too much. You yep. know, I was still competing and doing all these things. So I basically didn't do anything other than just be me, but we wanted to have a flair of comedy on the side and, you know, the managers and the all this stuff that happens behind the scenes that people don't know about. And we just wanted to have a bit of fun with it. Well, thanks for everything today, Harry. You were great. I think you're going to be a, a really great sports manager one day. So oh, I'll show works. you out here. So I just grab my lunch and come back? No, no, no. You're done for the day. Oh. Yeah, um, you're all done. But mum's not going to be here one. for another. Oh, work experience, kid. Annoying. Oh, I thought he was really nice. He seemed really organised. 
What do you know about organised zoos? So does... I only got a couple more questions about this and then we'll get to your story. Is there any measurement, I don't mean Red Bull now, just sponsors specifically where you've got to deliver metrics? Do they look at metrics, views, etc., in this extreme sports space that you're in? Yeah, 100%. I mean, <laughs> everything's everything's about how far did it reach. Yeah, okay. that word reach all yep. the time. And, yeah, I mean, it's all, all information is, you know, everyone can see it, everyone can see how well one post did compared to the other and then... You try and do more of the posts that was better than this one and it goes around in circles. It's a weird and, world, isn't it? Yeah. And sometimes you get so caught up in it that you try and you're almost changing the perspective of what you want people to perceive you as. Yeah. And I've caught myself even in that a lot of the time because I never ever want to be someone that if you saw me in the street, for example, I'd want you to know that I was the same person you saw me on Instagram. Whereas I know people firsthand that I've seen them on their Instagram and then I see them in person and I'm like, you're so different mm. and, it, and it kills me. <laughs> I'm like, so I think that's always been a big uh, thing for us to just stay genuine and show me as, as me and as if they people had access to my photos on my phone. With Red Bull, uh, we were lucky enough to have Dan Ricardo, and I know your mates um, a few months ago on the show now, and you're talking about that crossover with Travis Brake, for example, classic of him in Monaco throwing an American football, catching an American football from yeah. Tom Brady on yes. a boat. Like, now that's you know that's reasonable levels of exposure yeah. when you're crossing over with Tom ba- Brady. Is there something you've done or someone you've met as a result of this sort of Red Bull crossover that you thought, wow, they've really impressed you? I met... Um uh, I might pronounce his name wrong here, but Felix Baumgartner, the oh, one that jumped out of space. Up in, out yeah, of the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, out of the atmosphere. Jumper away. Speed 725. Showing Felix at a stable descent. Baumgartner. And he was yeah. an interesting character. Was he? Um... Yeah, he was just really like so. Uh, I can't even really explain. He was just so like, yeah, I don't know. He was just an interesting guy. Like you could ask him a question and he'd just answer it, but there wouldn't be any elaboration, like how I'm talking. Right. So no good for the Howie Games. Uh, nah, probably not. <laughs> uh, but he probably would be because it was entertaining how blunt he was. Uh-huh. You know, you'd say so. What was, for example, I said, hey, what was your plan if it didn't go right? I'm dead. <laughs> and it's just like, what? It's like, no, I just it would have gone wrong. Would you like to elaborate on that, uh, Felix? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and let me tell you, when I was standing there um, on top of the world, you become so humble. You do not think about breaking records anymore. You do not think about um, gaining scientific data. The only thing that you want is you want to come back alive, you know, because you do not want to die in front of your parents, your girlfriend, and all these people watching this. This became the most important thing to me when I was standing out there. But I think that's why the, I mean, th- they'd planned that out to the absolute last straw. So that wasn't going to happen, but like that was just his mentality. He wanted to do it so bad that there was just, that was it. This is what I was, what it was going to take to do it. Wow. I don't know. It was strange. It made sense to me when I met him that he would do it. Yeah, okay, that he's the type of bloke that would jump off a platform in space. And, yeah, yeah, pretty okay. much. <laughs> 
Um, I can't wait to talk to you about your sport because mm. um, I've been lucky enough to see it at the Olympics, which I want to talk to you about. And it, I'll save it, what effect it had on me. It just blew me away. But where did it start? You were on a snowboard for the first time when? You, you've grown up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Mm. So it's not like you're one of those snow bunnies immediately or did you have a family going to the snow or what happened? Yeah, so I grew up in Warrandyte, so out a little bit out of the city. Uh, my brother was a passionate ski racer growing up. I went snowboarding for my first time when I was three years old. My dad bought a snowboard home for me. The story told is that I wasn't terribly uh, obedient or I would not listen to my ski instructors and I would ski off and do my own thing. So they said, let's put him on a snowboard if we can find one small enough and that'll put him on his ass. And it did. I think I can't. I was so I'm so I was so young. I can't yeah. even remember the first time I it's actually. It's a small snowboard for a three-year-old. It's about ninety centimeters. Okay. So yeah, pretty little. And then after that, you know, I was fortunate enough growing up. My my mum and dad loved going to the snow more so than a typical Aussie family at the beach or surfing and playing tennis or doing whatever. So we went over to Canada, and my brother was ski racing, and I was kind of just tagging along. Oh, he was racing. He was racing, right. yeah, yeah. So he was racing in BC. This is Quinton. Uh, this is Qu- QP, yeah, Quinton. <laughs> so, he, you know, he's got all the, the tricks of the trade when he comes up to the top of the events now. Of course he does. Um, and, then, and then I just took a keen liking to it. I started competing in Canada in a local level and did pretty well. And then from, yeah. What, what does did pretty well mean? Were you... Were you just did you just get on it and all of a sudden people are like wow he's really 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 amazing on the snowboard or was it just a progression thing and you, there's no time for modesty now I know you're a modest man but did it click for you were, were you made was, to ride a snowboard I was definitely naturally just pretty gifted like I just remember things came to me just so without even thinking twice <laughs> I wish that was still the case uh, <laughs> no nah, but yeah just stuff came to me really easy and a lot of people I remember would say. You know, he's going to be the next whoever. Um, she, Sean White, for example, I heard that countless amount of times. And How'd that make you feel? Et cetera, et cetera. Was that a pressure thing or, wow, that's cool, they think of me like that? I, yeah, it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. But I never really thought much about it. Um, I was just in my own world. And then when I was 13, actually, I went away for my first time from the family. That was like a pretty big moment. Talk about tears earlier on. I was crying from when I left my family at the airport in Melbourne up to my, literally didn't stop from Melbourne to Sydney. I remember the hostess was looking at me thinking, what have they done to this kid? But I was actually just going away from my family. And you say you were concerned about that? Um, I just knew I'd miss them. Like I was just really sad to leave. And then (laughs) I met my coach and he basically took me on my first world tour. I did every single junior event around at the 13. world at 13 years old. How was that? It was amazing. Was like, it? Great experience. But yeah, I missed my family. I've got a very f- tight family, you know, where we're all very close. So that was tough for me. And at the time too, you don't, I didn't really think about, when you're so young too, you don't really think about how amazing the opportunity is no of course you don't to travel and i just thought why you you know i don't want to go i just want to stay home but you also you also don't realize till you have kids what faith your mum and dad were showing you in the boat that was taking you around the world and letting you just live (laughs) out your dreams and go yeah exactly but i think 
another part to that story is um, who you might know and a lot of Australians would know is Tora Bright. Yes. It was her brother and I was with Tora too. So basically it was myself, Benny and Tora traveling the world together. Right. He was Tora's coach for a long yep. time, yeah. So he, t- he coached Tora and I. <laughs> and then we just went on the road and, and still to this day, you know, those guys are like my second family. They're awesome. And they looked after me and it was great. Loved it. But yeah, it was it was big probably more so obviously a big sacrifice for my parents. And now I'm very grateful because they let me do it. So we spoke earlier on in the player profile, Scotty, mm. and I mm. asked you, you know, did you have any plans to be anything else? And you were like, yeah, pretty determined to do one thing and that was become a snowboarder. Was there was there any plan B? Like during school, like how's schooling going on as a 13-year-old? Like we have a lot of kids and parents listen to this show. We're really lucky about mm. that. And they've got kids that do promising things in certain areas and it's like, wow, well, he's going off around the world. What's happening with his schooling? That's the natural parental approach at that point. Yeah, of course. No, it was my school... My principal, I still chat to him, be very happy that I'm going to plug it right now. But I went to Southwood in Ringwood and they were amazing with giving me the ability to do what I wanted to do. They saw how much I wanted to do it and they just, they helped me and supported me, traveled with my schoolwork. I would communicate with them from overseas. So I did do school and I finished school. Hmm. It was really tough, but I, um, and I, and I, Definitely, you know, school was something I really enjoyed because I loved getting to see my friends and I loved going back and having a normal life. But I definitely was also uh, never, ever thought, oh, you know, I'm really interested in this. So, you know, maybe I want to do accounting or maybe I want to be in business or I want to do... I was always like, I can't wait so I can go back to go snowboarding. So, but... In saying that too, it's not actually true that I just said that because when I was 15, I went to my first Olympics and that was still to date. And it sounds it sounds funny talking about it, but the hardest point in my career for sure because I'd come off you know, that year of being 13, traveling the world, best junior in the world at the time, and all this pressure accumulated and, and I, then I got my shot to go to the Olympics in Vancouver 2010. Youngest Olympian in 50 years. I yeah. And the youngest athlete at the whole games. Yeah. So were you and 15 was, and a bit, nearly 16, what were you? Yeah, I was 15. Um, I was 15, so it was January 2010 and I was turning 16 in July that year. So, so wow. I was a bit 15, into 15. Oh, but um, Wow. And it was absolutely incredible. Like still to date, I, I remember everything. It was awesome. My first opening ceremony, and I was just there to purely enjoy the whole experience. But I probably was able to enjoy it a lot more because it was the hardest, by far the hardest um, experience in my career to date, just being that young. Johnny James at Australia. He rides with a tour of Bray, his coach actually, Benny Bray. Nice. And I was going through, I was hitting puberty, I was growing, I was going to school, for example, and 
trying to juggle that and then you know what people thought of me started to affect me I became insecure I was not snowboarding the way people would tell me I should be I wasn't getting the results that people were telling me that I should be getting what are you insecure about um I just I just think becoming a teenager mm. you know I've always been a little bit um outside the box you know I used to wear like I used to get these like cow pants made. My dad used to make me in like pink pants and always just done things a little bit, you know, outside the box. And What's a cow pant? We literally made like, you know, cowhide? Yes. We literally made a pair of pants out of cowhide, <laughs> but how, like fake cowhide. And how'd you make them pink? Uh, we we also got like these pink f- uh, fluffy... We used to go down to... um. This is nice gear. Yeah, it's very good gear. Not very... Uh, not very waterproof, but yeah, we used to go down and make. I forget what's the place called. They sell all the material. Um, oh, oh, like I, I don't know. My dad was a graphic designer, so he was like all about it. He thought it was yeah, this is a great idea. Curtains and all yeah, that yeah, type of all stuff. That. Spotlight. Yeah, spotlight. Spotlight. Perfect. That's it. <laughs> down there, and then you know, I used to always do that stuff, and then when people would start to say things, and, and when you, at that point, I was like. I don't give a shit what they say about me. I'm just going to do what I want to do. You're 15. And, and well, then I did care, but when I was, I'm talking about when I was about 10 years right. old and 15, I'm get this opportunity to go to the Olympics and people, you know, people that I've never met before all of a sudden had an influence or uh, their words meant a lot to me when they shouldn't have hmm. because they had an opinion all of a sudden about why I wasn't doing good or why I should be doing better. And for me, being 15 at the time, I also built up my own ego where, of course, I'm not going to express how I'm feeling and I'm not going to tell you because I'm not going to be emotional about it because I'm a, ma- I'm a man now and I'm going to just deal with it and keep it in. And I remember it and it got to a point where I wasn't going very well, basically wasn't going to qualify for the Olympics and I just came home from a trip in Europe and I just lay in my bed for like six hours crying to my mum, like it was just terrible. And I just said to her, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I didn't know how to manage it. Like, and it was, and it's funny, like now I actually had a point where I went back to school like two years ago and I started getting emotional. It makes me emotional now thinking about it because I let so many people's opinions define how I like wanted to snowboard. And for sure, going to the Olympics was an amazing opportunity and I just, I think at the time, lost sight of why I did it in the first place. And I think, I reckon that's probably so relative to every sports person, every profession is you start it out because you love it and you're passionate about it and then you hit a point where it's like, okay, do you want to be a professional and you want to do it properly and then your perspective will change because it becomes work. It becomes, you know, if you, for example, I don't know, playing golf, Mm. we have to go and hit 100 balls tonight because that'll make you better. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was, let's just go and let's just, you know, hit 20, 50, doesn't really matter. And it, that should never change. Like I've had to relearn that. But um, It's a big lesson yeah. for a 15-year-old to yeah, be taking on board. It was. And I had to grow up really quick. And it's not really like a, I don't seek sympathy or anything when I tell people this, but I've been fortunate enough now to actually go and, speak to like teenagers from school because it's it's all relative it doesn't matter if you play sport or you whatever um 
if you go to school one day and you're confident and the next you go the next day and you're not because girls there's girls there and there's you know someone will say something about the shoes you're wearing or they don't like something that you've done or whatever it is that all impacts you being the best person that you can be or what you think that is Mm -hmm. and then that makes you never be or reach your potential in sport so i think i i learned through that and i made i made the olympics which was amazing 15 was awesome i didn't even really think about it how awesome it was until after i came back to australia and but the biggest learning curve for me and that was something that I learned very young is that um, yeah, if you start to not do it for yourself, it's just yeah, it's just a slippery slope to go in somewhere you don't literally pun intended to where you don't want to be. You talked about how it affected you as a person. But and you said it also affected the way you'd snowboard. People wanted you to snowboard a certain way. And after this, I want you to explain to me exactly what you do for people mm. that aren't aware and yeah. haven't seen it live like I've been blessed enough to do. So what do you mean they wanted you to snowboard a certain way and you didn't want to snowboard that way? What does that mean? Well, I became, because because of being the best junior, I think then the expectation to do tricks that I was doing already for me became even more scary like I was starting to get so wound up on myself that it was frightening to do tricks and people would want me to you know my coach Benny but Benny was always very good at like trying to guide me there without being like if you don't do it then it was never black and white and he understood that so he was a great coach but it was being able to do the tricks to get the results to make the Olympics. Right. And the difference was let's go out, enjoy it, ride, train hard, and just let everything else happen, which is how it should be. So you start to go up and then you start to be, I was very timid and I was particular about things that didn't matter and thinking that was the right thing to do. And then, yeah, it just didn't work. So... Uh, and there was a lot of a lot of things away training. How much? How long are you up there? Oh, he's up there for forty five minutes. Oh, well, that's not good enough because, you know, I watched this guy over here who's just been up here for two hours. And sure, you're probably right. I probably should have been up there for two hours. Comes but, back to the hundred golf balls, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's like you don't know what I'm dealing with. So what gives you the right to tell me how long I should be up there? And now I can say that. But at the time, I never would have questioned them because I'm fifteen. I don't know any better. They don't think I know any better and why would a 15-year-old basically have the voice to be able to tell us what we th- he thinks he should be doing? So that was that was a pretty tough learning period. And then, I mean, the craziest part was I went through this whole experience and then I went back to grade nine at school. <laughs> <laughs> like I felt like I just learnt the craziest lessons. Like I literally went to the Olympics in 2010 and then I went back to term two and... And uh, how were you received? Grade nine. Oh, it was great. Loved it. I went to an awesome school. All the boys just gave me shit and just <laughs> we went on with life and I, that was what I craved and I missed. Back to Scotty in a moment. Major announcement, seriously major announcement about our next guest. Wow. I cannot tell you how pumped I am about this. Next up on the show, Steve Smith. Steve Smith, I tell you. The episode runs nearly two hours and covers so much territory. Smitty is fantastic from the art of batting 
following your own path, dealing with adversity, the phenomenal work Steve is doing in the space of youth suicide prevention, and some cricket specifics, like the Ashes moment when he was hit by Jofra Archer. Medical attention out there. A champion player. And I just got myself in a position I couldn't get out of the way. Um, and then, yeah, hit me on the back of the back of the head and um, kind of, yeah, I didn't really know. I, the first thing that actually came to my mind was um, was my mate Husey, um, who got hit in a you know very similar position. And I'm there, kind of going, like, I'm all right. Like, I'm, I was kind of like, it's not fair. Why am I okay? But he wasn't in a way. That was in your mind at the time. That was the first thing that came to my mind when I got hit because of where it was. Um, it was pretty much, it was a very similar spot. It was. So that was that was literally the first thing. And then after that, that sort of faded out. Um, I was like, I want to keep batting. Like, I've got a feeling they're going to take me off, but I just wanted to, to keep batting. Oh, I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. His player profile is up next Thursday. Favourite food? Uh, chocolate. Chocolate. Is that a problem <laughs> in your profession, Stephen? Well, my motivation is if I get 100, I get myself a, um, a nice big block of dairy milk. So it's uh, there's plenty of motivation to score runs considering I love it. So No wonder you made so many runs. Is it like the full family square job, is it? Oh, absolutely. If I get 100, 100%. The full episode from Steve Smith will drop on Thursday, August the 27th. Alrighty, back to SJ. So, Scotty, what is it you do? I, I know that's an obvious question, but what is it you do? Like, the first thing when people meet you is, wow, he's tall. Mm. Because naturally surfers, snowboarders, skiers, we think it's low to the ground, low centre of gravity. That is the opposite of what you are. Like how tall are you? I'm about 6'2". Right. So you'd be as tall as anyone that yeah, you're competing I'm, against. Yeah, I'm, I'm the tallest on the tour okay. for sure. Yeah. So what is it you do? Actually, before that, describe the dimensions of the half pipe you ride. Scotty with a frontside 12 double right off the bat into a backside 12. So the craziest combo we've seen thus far. Scotty James front 10. This run has it all. Mellows it out to a frontside 5. Into the switch backside 12. It's as good as it gets, Preston. Yep. So what I do is I ride a half pipe. So if you can picture a half pipe, like a full... You know, I've, I always use as an example like PVC piping. Yep. Cut it in half. That's your half pipe. It's about 200 metres long with about your your ute, like actually using about 120 metres of that. The other half, like the other parts you're dropping in to get speed to go into the half pipe and the other end you're exiting. Uh, the walls are 22 foot high. Which is how many metres? Uh, it is, I think it's seven metres. Seven, sounds about right. Yeah, so seven, seven metres high. So if you're listening to this now, think seven metres. You, it's about you, two-storey building. Yeah, your roof's three and a half metres, so it's a yeah. two-storey yeah. two so, building. And then you go another 20 feet above that. On so, that very topic, I'm going to stop you for a sec. Okay. Uh, I have two kids that okay. frequently listen to this show. Yep. Uh, hear from every week because they ask a question okay. of the guest. Firstly, you get my daughter... Who, his name is Sky, but she operates as the pickle. Okay, the pickle. They were watching your videos this morning. Right. 
and blown away. Okay. Blown away by the size and scale of what you do. So here we go. Hi, Scotty. Pickle here. I love watching you snowboard. It's so cool. A few years ago, we went skiing and I could do a jump. And I thought, wow, this is really high. And then I looked at the video. It was probably only 10 centimetres. Anyway, how high can you go when you do a jump? Hence the question there. Pickle, great question. Uh, you, on a good day, a winning run in a competition, you're going anywhere between 15 and 20 feet above the coping. So so now it's a, it, now we're at two stories above the level yeah, of the Yeah, so hut we're pot. now probably at about four stories from the ground. Righto, that opens the door to so many <laughs> questions, Scotty. One being fear, which we'll address in a moment as yep. we follow your journey. I haven't had many extreme athletes on this show, yeah. and it fascinates me. Body awareness. How do you get yourself in the position and be aware of where you are mm. to do the tricks, to complete the tricks, and then land the tricks? Like, what's the process of learning to do it? I think it's I – can, I can use this as an example. It's probably like trying to – how do you – I mean – similar to anything and obviously the more you do it the more comfortable you come become but like I have always been pretty good with trampolines like I'm I've quite my air awareness is definitely a strength of mine that I use a lot with the half pipe you know I know when it's going to go right and I know when it's going to go wrong and it might be a, a body movement that I need to make last minute or mid-air during a trick. So here's Scotty James, our defending gold medalist. For one. Ooh, nice little front one into the half pipe there. Oh, okay. Switch backside double 12. Anything like that is very key in making sure that it's safe and, you, and you're doing it right. In terms of managing how tricks evolve you know you obviously start with your 180s 360 540 720 so on and then it really it really depends how far you want to push yourself is you know how difficult and um risky or yeah risky the tricks are getting but usually navigating through a trick is all about touch and feel so i'll go in the half pipe and when i go out of the wall i'll be able to tell how it's going to go by the feel of the snowboard under my feet. All snowboards, just to explain a little bit more, they're all reverse camber. Mm -hmm. So if you flip a banana upside down, it's like, you know, and when you push it down, banana won't because it'll squash, but yep. that's how you get the pop and snap out of the board is that it'll react to you pushing, giving it force will push it back on you. And is that how you get the spring? Yeah, so you get a lot of pop, we would call it, out of that. Pop? Pop. Right. Yeah, so there's some lingo Scotty for popping you. it out there. <laughs> <laughs> and you use that to navigate uh, some tricks and then body movement. There's so many elements, but it comes down to as well just having the ability to have really good air awareness of tricks and being prepared to be able to evolve with them because that can be tough sometimes going that extra 180 or the extra 540 or whatever it may be. So, Okay. So I saw this for the first time at the Sochi Olympics where I was alongside a fellow called Michael Kennedy mm -hmm. who knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And I just had to basically ask him questions at the extreme part. Mm -hmm. And he took me to uh, the aerial site mm. and I was like, wow, how do they jump off that? Yeah. And then he took me to the half pipe, which they were building it. Yeah. And you get no concept when you're watching on TV. Yeah, of, it's very different. 
how it is and I saw you compete. He put it to me that after Sochi, where you had your performing your words. Yeah, shit. Right. Yeah. That you changed your approach to the sport and became a far more professional athlete in what we started with was being a really, really cool sport where it was mm. cool to just turn up and have your baggy ass pants and yeah. oh I just nailed it this day. <laughs> yeah. True story? Yeah, for sure. I would say there's been massive changes for me. Um there was a there was a point in my career, would have been the US Open about five years actually after that Olympics at um Sochi. <laughs> I had a moment where I was at the US Open and I just missed finals for like the third year in a row by one spot. And I remember smashing my helmet and being very, very angry and saying, pardon my French, but this is the last time I'm not fucking making the US Open finals. And I said, I've got to make a change here. But I think the biggest thing was I had to get to that point to, to want to change. Mm -hmm. And I was purely running of talent like I was just you know I for sure definitely there were some moments like hard work moments nothing like I do now to get through my first two Olympics like I was I've all like being a snowboarder growing up you know I've naturally been pretty gifted with it but to get to where I am now like I had to break down my own barriers to, to for me to perceive what I wanted to do and, and for me to deserve it almost. So hmm. I completely scratched everything. I um, What happened in Sochi? Sochi, I tried, I, I, probably, I probably put too many things on my plate. I wanted to do two. I've always been, half pipe's always been my discipline. I've always been better at it. I've always enjoyed it. I've always been more competitive. And then they have slope style, which is the jumps and mm -hmm. similar thing. You do the tricks. And I wanted to do both disciplines at the Olympics, which I did. So I did slope style and half pipe which was great but also i was jack of all trades master and none which i hated and that was something that i probably just had to do and i wanted to do it and i achieved it and then i was like look i'm going to just focus on half pipe now so um, just just a quick one on that so you you describe your sochi performance as shit yeah. how does defeat resonate with you how does poor performance resonate with you then yeah. Versus now? Yep. Oh, now I would, if I competed like I did in Sochi now, oh, yeah, no, nah, it wouldn't be good. Right. We're in a studio right now and probably find a way to smash all these windows. Right. <laughs> so it is a serious profession now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for sure. It always, be, it always has been very serious, but I think the epiphany I had, I was like, I was just sick and tired of being another number in a field that no <laughs> one really gave a shit about me being there. And that bothered me. And it took me that long for it to bother me. So I basically started fresh, got James, started working with a guy named Stu who's been huge for me and my success, my brother. And I said, look, this is where I'm going. This is the path I'm going. I remember I went in and saw all my partners and I said, I'm going to go down this path and I will do what I'm saying I'll do, which I've done get on board and help. What did you say you were going to do? I said that I would win world championships that next year, and I did. But the Chinese amazing pipe shredder couldn't do anything against Scotty James. 
He took back home the World Championships gold in the halfpipe after his Aussie teammate Nathan Johnson was able to do that back in 2011. It's been an amazing 12 months and uh, like you said, last year to come away with the, uh, I guess, the, the world title over the past the few competitions that I did and then now this, uh, it's just the cherry on top. So, yeah, it was really good. Triple world champion. I said I'd win an X Games gold medal. I've Which got, you did. I've got three now. Yeah. What Scotty is doing, what Utah is doing, it's a different sport. It's the same level of dominance that Sean had and it's coming from Australia. Switch backside air, cap nine, switch back ten, switch back ten, in the super pipe, into the backside twelve, into the front side twelve, okay, okay, Scotty James just Thanos snap, this is absolutely silly. Is there something higher than first place? And what a moment for Scotty James. Gonna take off the bucket to get the medal. A familiar feeling for Scott. <laughs> and mate, 18, 19 and 19, 20, six out of six in 18, 19, the perfect season. Yeah. 19, 25 wins. You're on the podium all seven events. So you are currently the dominant snowboarder on the planet. Let's not mess around here. So how did you go from the kid in Sochi to being the dominant snowboarder on the planet? What I type had of things to... did you do? A lot of things. I mean, I before I came here, I went to the gym and I, you know, I trained twice a day, six days a week. I wanted to start taking myself more seriously. What does a train, a snowboarder train on? Is it a, is aerobic? Is it weights? It's a lot of aerobic fitness for okay. me. So running, I love cycling because um, we're in altitude a lot, and we tend to actually half hike the half pipe for training. So why do you um, need to be cardio fit for an event that? in its essence, runs for 45 seconds? Yeah, 30 seconds okay. roughly for training purposes okay. more so than the competition. Right. So it's it's much more of like a, you know, 400-meter race than it is a, you know, a running a triathlon gotcha. or running a marathon. Um, but it's actually more so on the training basis that we don't get a hell of a lot of time in the half pipe. So getting when you get the time to be in there you want to be able to be in there as much as possible to fine-tune all your tricks and and do them as much as you can and being fit is so key because you get fatigued you're in altitude you know generally um that's where tricks won't evolve because you're not doing them enough to get comfortable with them to then implement them into your runs so that for me is huge so on a on a training day in the pipe Mm -hmm. how many runs are you doing uh, old Scotty would have stayed up for two hours, dicked around a bit, probably did one hard trick, felt good with it and gone home. Scotty in the past five years would stay up for four hours, do, uh, yeah, four hours of training, hiking the whole time, making sure I'm the last one there to prove a point that you won't beat me. Right. Wow. <laughs> But mate, that's 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 why you're sitting here now as yeah. the best in the world. And I think it's it's interesting because huh. the being fit doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be a better snowboarder. And being stronger doesn't mean I'm going to be better. It's not like if I can run a 2K time trial like an AFL player, no. you're probably going to be a better AFL player because you're going to be fit, you're going to be at the ball more, you're going to be able to do more because you're fit. Whereas for me, it's more so like this is what I know or what I'm going to do to give me the edge to know that I've done so much more than my competitors, which 
if they listen to this, they might hear me and say whatever, but like, I know I am. Yeah. Like I, there's no, I, I just know that I'm putting in the time and the effort and people just, I think the perception of snowboarding, as you said, is baggy pants, you know, very loose, easy going environment, which at times it is, and it still will probably always be the culture, but there's also the professional element, which I've really gone down where I wanted to just be competitive. I wanted to be the best because I knew what it was like growing up. I've experienced it when I was 13. I was that one that everyone wanted to beat. So I'm in that same position now. A mind-melting run. Ozzy came to fight today. Stomping out that run number two, a 94. How do the cool kids in the sport react to... They always say that... um, we spoke about Dan Ricciardo, that Michael Schumacher brought fitness mm. and mental approach to Formula One. And before that, it was, you know, have a few beers and you're yeah. a rock star and you drive a car fast. How yeah. do those that still compete in your sport with that approach, how do they view Scotty James, who's this professional, highly motivated, hard-training athlete? Uh, I don't think they like it. Yeah. No, I don't think... No. I don't think many people like it because they probably, I don't know, for their own reasons, I'll never ever judge people mm-hmm. for doing what they want to do. This is what I want to do and this is why I'm actually in my position because I couldn't really care less what they thought about me because I enjoy what I'm doing. And if he goes backside 12 here, which he attempts and stops. Okay, those are two absolutely mind-melting tricks. Cap 10. Frontside double. Oh, yes! Okay, okay, okay that's, that, that's really hard to do. The game has changed. Scotty James. But it is. It's it's very different. And you, I'm slowly actually starting to see it a bit more, you know, that transition into the more, you know, healthy lifestyle, you know, improve, get better results kind of thing. Mate, everyone always but copies the leader. Everyone yeah. copies the leader, and if that's what the leader's doing, and you're the leader at the moment, then yeah. that, that's what the field does. What about have you worked much on the mental side of your sport? Because to me, when you're standing up there, I guess it's all about imagery. Um, like, how do you approach? We haven't got to fear yet, which I really want to talk to you about. Mm. But have you tried to unlock your mind? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've done. I do this stuff every day. I speak to. Speak to a guy I work with every single week, and I think the most groundbreaking thing that we work on all the time is evolving. And I wasn't the same person yesterday as I am now, and I won't be the same person tomorrow because whatever happens in life, you got to learn to deal with things. I mean, we're in a great example of that right now mm. in the middle of a pandemic that has just shocked everyone. But the people that will probably come out the other side, it's been tragic around the world and it's been hard to see a lot of the things are ones that are very in tune with themselves and that's been something that we've really worked on and yeah I mean it's been an amazing journey for me I you know I don't think I was very aware of myself at all I didn't know how I was going to perform I didn't know what was going to be the tick to make me perform and diving into the mental stuff is if I have a scenario where I didn't sleep the night before or something's happened and, you know, I'm let's just use the Olympics as an example and I have to wake up the next day and deliver, 
because I want to and it's been a lot of work put into it, you still got to be able to do it. And how do you do it? Well, you have to have done the work to know how you're going to get yourself back to that place. The physical or mental work? Mental work because snowboarding is more so mental, I would say. It's probably 90% because a lot of the stuff's very scary and to do a lot of the tricks to overcome them is the hardest part. And firstly, knowing yourself, I reckon, is probably the, the key to, to, the, to the success, really. And I, I, love, I love watching. I, I really, really love watching sport because what makes me tick isn't going to make you tick. It's not going to make, you know, the best golfers or the Formula One drivers tick. Like, we're all our own individuals. And I find, I even talk about this sometimes now, I find that so many of us are defined by what we perceive as being a good athlete or being a way that we're going to be better and it just doesn't work because that's just that's just a result of you listening and thinking what other people are doing is going to be good for you but it's not like you might get up and I might eat you know sushi for breakfast and you see me being the best and you say shit scotty eats sushi for breakfast i'm gonna start eating sushi for breakfast but then you feel like shit and you can't go up and do it Mm. but you keep doing it because you think eventually i'll I'll do it but it's like you got to know yourself you got to do your own thing and it's actually scary to do it because you you actually have to start to really count on yourself and i had to learn that i was like i'm all in i'm like I'm committed and I believe in myself to do it and I'm going to put in the work and we've done and still to date every week we talk about it. And talking about it is important as well. So when you are at the top of the run, Mm. it's Olympics, it's a big event, it's the X Games, what are you thinking about in that 30 seconds before you launch yourself into what is a death-defying act? I'll typically speak to my coach, James, um, I'll we'll go through my run in my head. I'll close my eyes. I'll put my arms around him. We look at each other, and I'll I'll do the trick. So I'll say, "All right, so I'm at the top. I'll close my eyes. I'll do it now. Um, dropping into the half pipe. I'm you know I'm energized. I'm calmly ambitious. I'm going through the flat bottom of the half pipe. I can see you know my takeoff. I'm doing a switch backside twelve sixty first hit. I'm going up." activating my core switched on snap look all the way through the trick coming around seeing the coping bringing my back shot all the way through driving through to land on the wall to look to the other side staying strong through the transitions my next wall and i and then i take a breath in between each time so it's very 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 clear brilliant description mate and then um and then that's it and then after that i think you know i if I if if it went wrong, it's because I hadn't done the work, you know, five months previous. It wasn't because I didn't do it last week. It wasn't because last night I lost sleep. It's because I didn't do it five months ago when I should have taken the time to hmm. learn stuff. So I think that's something that has allowed me to just be uh, enjoy it. I smile. I actually get there and it doesn't matter how pressure cooker it is. Like this year, I was at the X Games and I was going for my back-to-back gold, which fantastic ended up doing, but I didn't even think about that because I was so just ready to enjoy what I'd worked for. 
we started this discussion talking about Instagram and the most hits and you yeah. want to be genuine. This is the stuff you should be putting on Instagram. <laughs> no, it is. I'm not I'm not being silly. It's it's a fascinating discussion about how to achieve your optimum in your caper. Yeah. I wish people listening could have seen that description with you with your eyes closed. Like I felt I'm on the edge of the buddy <laughs> half pipe and you're about to drop in. That's the end of Scotty James Part A. Do not miss Part B, Rockstars. See you there. Listener.